Welcome to Rooted and Reaching, a podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia in Columbia, Maryland, where we celebrate the beauty of our diversity. In our conversations here, we share stories of our journeys and explore ideas that challenge us in order to nurture the interdependent web of which we are all a part. We are rooted in faith, reaching for community. In this episode, Valerie chats with UUCC's Director of Music, Michael Adcock. Together, they explore themes lifted up in our recent worship service designed and presented by Michael on the psychological and musical resonance of Beethoven. Through their conversation, Michael offers insight into his own personal resonance with Beethoven's life and work, and also lets us know about his hopes and plans for his upcoming sabbatical. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today on Rooted and Reaching. This is my first time hosting a podcast episode, and this is your first guest appearance. Thank you so much for doing this with us. And thank you for inviting me, Valerie. I couldn't think of a better person to interview me. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better person to interview, Michael. So we are here this week. We're coming off of a thrilling Beethoven service that you planned and designed and presented. You did all of the things and you led us in hymns on Sunday. And in the service, we explored the musical and psychological resonance of Beethoven's work to both society and to humanity at large. So I'm curious, Michael, what personal resonance does Beethoven have in your life? How does the work and life of Beethoven speak to you personally? Well, I think uh, it, there's, there's a model of Beethoven's inner strength and fortitude, which is like an inspiration for me to keep plowing ahead uh, when I face failures or setbacks and frustrations or even occasional normal aging health challenges. I, I feel really lucky and fortunate that I have the outlet of music and art to keep me motivated when I have life's challenges. It helps keep me fixated on my purpose and real meaning in life. And I think Beethoven reminds me to keep also my own personal musical integrity intact. When occasional criticism or disappointment invariably comes my way as a musician, you know, we share as artists, when we share as artists, we put our complete selves on display, warts and all, and there's no hiding. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to offer an expression of, of music or art as it shows everything from the way you might think intellectually about a piece of music to your own personal limitations, which are obvious or often obvious, as well as the feelings and deep emotions that art can usually express. Yeah. I mean, art in itself is an act of both courage and great vulnerability. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. And I think we see that reflected in Beethoven. So um, in the service, Michael, you walked us through three periods of Beethoven's life and work. And as you think about your own life as a musician, as a all of the identities you, um, you embody, how might you break your journey into three distinct periods? And I know like nobody's life is three <laughs> distinct periods, but... Sure. I mean, I, I see some, some similarities to Beethoven's life, I guess. Uh, I think of my first period as my formation of myself as a young person into an artist, learning about music and notation, technique, repertoire, as well as sort of the visceral power of music that can uplift and inspire. 
And then the sec second period, I guess I would say, is the formation of an artist becoming a real musician, studying and interacting with other artists, mentors, and listening to great recordings and live concerts, being challenged in performances of my own, uh, expanding my repertoire, entering competitions, taking advanced music classes, going to music festivals, and also even beginning to understand how the business of music works. And I guess in a way, I'm, I'm kind of bumping up into the third period now, uh, or maybe I'm already in it, I don't know. Figuring out kind of what statements I want to make with regards to music in the latter part of my life. In which case, I think the focus becomes less about me and my art and more about my contributions to society as a musician, my impact and influence on others, especially people of the younger generation, and how I might be able to make a positive difference in the world as a musician who leads and inspires others. Michael, you mentioned the second period was when you came into yourself as an artist. Was there ever a moment when you thought to yourself, I, I am now a musical artist? I think there were a couple of moments. One, when I gave a performance with a lot of other ministers of music in my hometown, and I was a kid. <laughs> they were all, you know, celebrated musicians and, and you know, well-regarded musicians. And there I was, 12-year-old or whatever, playing with, with all of them. And I thought, hey, I, I must be pretty pretty decent. Took my parents. I think that was a wake-up call for my parents as well, because I, you know, I had to beg for lessons, and they didn't take me seriously for a long time. Yeah, so music was a, a real thing in your life then? Yes, from a very early age, yeah. Um, you talked about this third period that you're embarking upon now as more about your contribution and impact and less about you and your art. What do you hope that impact to be? What sort of legacy do you hope to contribute? Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, I mean, one, I don't know that one, I guess one can plan one's legacy <laughs> as an artist or, but I, I just want to keep um, reaching out to young people and helping mold and sculpt and shape and shape people around me and bring the joy of music and, and the healing power of music, I think, and what's inspiring about um, communal voices, for example. Uh, I love always playing with others. Sometimes being a pianist can be a solitary type of music making, and that's never been uh, satisfying enough for me as a, as, as a single entity. I always wanted to play with other people. I get more inspiration out of those kinds of collaborative experiences in general than as a solo pianist. Yeah, that really, I definitely resonate with that, Michael. Just the, the hours in the practice room by yourself has nothing on a chamber music rehearsal and the vibrancy and, and life of- I agree. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, of reacting to each other and listening. I imagine that during COVID, it's particularly limiting all those things about collaborative music that you love, you don't get to partake in. Yeah, that's been very sad. And, and uh, most of the concerts that I've been, you know, on my, on my docket have been canceled, as well as the music festivals that I've attended have now been canceled two years in a row. And if I think about it too much, I get too, too depressed. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I love that I, that even though I have this wonderful position here, where I lead and conduct and, but I also, that serious classical chamber music part of my life is something I don't want to I don't want to ever have to give up completely. And in the summertime, I, I'm still able to enjoy those experiences. And I'm very sad, many of us are, yet at the same time, I feel grateful that I have something that's regular, that can keep me inspired, 
with the with the work with you know at UUCC. My heart goes out to other performance musicians that are gigging musicians or rely on performances or rely on their orchestra jobs to keep themselves, keep their food on the table. And it's tough times for artists and musicians of, of many kinds right now. And I don't know what that community is going to look like post COVID either, you know, how quickly it will bounce back. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, finding inspiration through the sadness too. As you prepared for the Beethoven service, did you find any new factoids or quotes or perspectives about Beethoven that were particularly inspiring to you? Um, yeah, a few. I mean, most of the time I was reminded of things that I had read and heard from before, some quotes that I had forgotten and all the good ones I shared with everyone on Sunday already. But I was able to read some other musicians' reflections on Beethoven in Uh, 2020 and what that means, especially Beethoven in the time of a pandemic, especially. And that that really influenced me into kind of framing uh, the power of the Ninth Symphony as something that might uh, unite us all in kind of a universal way in terms of healing and, and brotherhood and those sorts of elements that were important to Beethoven when he was creating that piece. While we are on the topic of Beethoven, I've got a couple of quick questions for you, Michael. Don't think too hard about these. I just want to hear what it is. First, what is your favorite Beethoven performance memory? Well, I have to answer these kinds of questions a little bit begrudgingly, only because I've never been a fan of favorites questions. (laughs) Just given the wealth of choices, you know, it's hard to kind of pick favorites of any kind, but uh, I think a, a, a memory I have is actually performing a, a piano trio of Beethoven called the Archduke Trio, which is one of his most wonderful trios. It's late Beethoven. And it was a summer festival back in the 90s. And there were two really old, wonderful older musicians who I respected greatly, who I collaborated with. And every now and then, just some of those performances are like spiritual experiences, almost, you know, out of body experiences where you know that something happened and, and inside of you as you were related to the music and hopefully that the audience felt it as well. Your favorite piano sonata of Beethoven's? Oh my, that's tough because there are 32 of those. <laughs> my favorite early early sonata is probably the E-flat major opus 7 and my favorite late sonata is probably opus 110. I think 110 is my favorite too, Yeah, followed by 101. Yeah, I, you know, those, we, we venerate those late sonatas so much as musicians that we don't touch them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been waiting for certain late pieces of Beethoven for when I feel that I'm really ready <laughs> to tackle them. Yeah. When you've reached some point of maturity and wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is your favorite Beethoven sy- symphony? Oh, that's a that's that's a tough one as well. I think it would probably be a toss up between the two that I talked about on Sunday, the third and the ninth. Yeah. Your favorite other work of Beethoven's? Well, I love um, the triple concerto, and not a lot of people know this this piece exists. It's a, a concerto for piano, violin, and cello, and it's wonderful, wonderful piece of music that I hope to to be able to play at some point in my life. But I think it's yeah, not 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 a lot of people are aware of that piece that it exists. What do you think is the most underrated work of Beethoven's? For me, if I had to, had to stick with piano, I would say it would be the late Beethoven Bagatelles, the last Opus 126. Maybe among musicians, they're not underrated, but I think people m- might not realize how 
deep and profound these works are, I think they're pretty astonishing, both in, in the sort of concentration of their content and variety of expression. They're like little miniature life's journeys within a two and a half, three minute bagatelle. It's really incredible. The word bagatelle refers to, it means trifles. And it's really funny that Beethoven chose that term because they're anything, <laughs> they're short, but they're anything but trifling, yeah. So Michael, if somebody were to hear this conversation and think, oh, I must go listen to the Bagatelles, whose recording would you recommend? Oh, probably uh, Arthur Schnabel. Well, he's, he's an influence on me because he was my teacher's teacher. Uh, one interesting anecdote that I forgot to share on Sunday, which I think will be kind of interesting to the listeners, uh, especially if you didn't weren't able to catch my uh, solo recital that I recorded in the sanctuary back in the fall, is that all of us musicians have a lineage and we trace our, our pedagogical sort of history and lineage back to great composers. And I go right back to Beethoven, which is really kind of fun. Beethoven taught Carl Czerny, who taught a guy by the name of Theodore Leszczycki, who taught Franz Liszt. I'm, I'm sorry, I got those two back backwards order. Sorry, Liszt. And then Leszczycki. Leszczycki taught a guy by the name of Arthur Schnabel, a wonderful pianist, who taught my teacher, Leon Fleischer, who taught me. So I just think that's kind of fun when you can kind of... But surely, yeah, music is an orally related tradition, so at least some of those concepts have to come filtered through, <laughs> even if they're, you know, they're watered down a little bit. Oh, Michael, you are, this is February right now that we are talking. You are gearing up for a long awaited and much deserved sabbatical starting next month. What do you hope to find personally and professionally during this break? Well, I mainly hope to find sort of rest and rejuvenation and, uh, you know, 30 plus years is a long time to be churning away without any significant time away from work. I think that church work is really gratifying for me in many ways, uh, especially as a musician. And I, I love the way it connects my artistic purpose to a larger one in society. But I think for the same reason, it can sometimes be both physically and emotionally demanding and sometimes draining. I think I need to be absent from a regularly pressured commitment to produce something every week so that my inspiration and reserve tank gets refilled, if you will. So what I'm going to do is I hope to visit some old friends who I've either lost touch with or missed seeing over the last several years, spend some quality, relaxed time with my family, read, take lots of hikes, vacation at the shore, practice only when I feel like it. And if inspired, I might record some things for a potential new CD of piano music. And I just want to sit around and think, ponder, and reflect on where and how far I've come in my own personal journey and maybe try and give some undivided attention to where my own inner voice and inner desire want to take me for the next part of my musical and professional uh, purpose in life. I guess my own third period, if you will thinking about, you know, what will that look like and what do I want out of it? Yeah. yeah. And Michael, we cannot wait to see what that third period is for you. What inspiration comes to you over the course of your sabbatical. And we cannot wait for you to share all of that with us. Oh, I definitely will. Yeah. Looking forward to that as well. Yeah. So do you have any final words or thoughts to share with the congregation before you depart us for several months? Sure. You know, I've said a couple of things, you know, in some between Sundays already, but I want to reiterate that I say thank you to the congregation. 
thanks for understanding and supporting my need and desire to even have a sabbatical and that I'll miss you and I'll miss the work, but that I'm leaving you in good hands. <laughs> and, and I think that it is sometimes healthy and good to leave you missing what I offer as well, hoping that as they say, maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder or something like that. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for sharing Beethoven with us last Sunday. Thank you for sharing these thoughts with us today. Thank you, Valerie. And thank you for the time and the wonderful questions. Thanks, Michael.